0: Morning, everybody. My name's Kyle. Most of you probably figured that out by now. I'm one of the pastors here, and usually I get to lead worship, but every once in a while I have the privilege to to share God's Word. I've had a sermon stirring in my heart for a couple months now. Um, But I'm going to do things a little differently. So normally I would take a passage, and we're going to dive deep into that passage and just go straight through. But I want to do something a little more topically. So we're going to look at quite a few different scriptures this morning. Um, I want to look at what it's like to be a God-pleaser Versus a people-pleaser. See, I have some people-pleasing tendencies in me. I'm not quite as bad as I used to be, but I still have some people-pleasing tendencies. Anybody here feel like they're a people-pleaser sometimes? Yeah, maybe some of you don't know. We, here's, here's some ways you might be able to know. You might be a people-pleaser if you pretend to agree with everyone all the time, even when you don't actually agree. Or you feel responsible for how other people feel. You may be a people pleaser if you apologize pretty much all the time, even when it's not your fault, or if you feel burdened by the things you have to do. You may be a people pleaser if you you can't think of the last time you said no to somebody when they asked you to do something. You're always saying yes to them. You might be a people pleaser. Or you feel miserable when somebody is upset at you or uh, maybe displeased with you. Like that one can get to me sometimes, just burden me. Ah, Why is that person still frustrated with me? Or you might be a people person if you act quite differently around different people, kind of act different ways around different groups so you can fit in and, and belong. You might be a people person if you feel a constant need to be praised by others for the things that you do. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. You may be a people person if you avoid conflict at all costs. Like, you might even be willing to figuratively throw yourself under the bus (laughs) just to to keep the peace, right? Who who loves to avoid conflict in here? Most of us. Or, finally, might be a people pleaser if you have a really hard time or perhaps you never really admit when somebody has hurt your feelings. So this describes some of us, right? This describes me sometimes. I'm ashamed to admit it, but sometimes I act as a people pleaser. Uh, when I shouldn't. I'm um, not quite the people-pleaser I used to be, but I still have some of those tendencies. So I've decided I'm not going to be a people-pleaser anymore, if that's all right with all of you. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so Colossians 3.22 says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people-pleasers. So I, I'm going to stop right there. I want to look at that word here. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't, I don't pretend to be. But I know that the word comes from two roots, and one of them means man, and one of them means to please. Anthroporescos, is that even close? Yeah, sure. It's close. So the idea here is that it pertains to somebody who's uh, causing people to be pleased with the implication of being in contrast to God, Or maybe sacrificing like a principle that you hold on to. Uh, Describe someone who tries to impress others. He merely acts to please men. He sacrifices principle or convictions uh, often to please someone. And often that ends up being like somebody in superior authority over them. So I think at the root of people pleasing is idolatry. And this is kind of hard to admit because sometimes I make an idol out of the people around me because I worry about how they feel about me, what they think about me. So I think when we do that, when we care more about what people think than what God thinks, I think we're making idols out of the people around us. Here's a question for you. Do you spend more time thinking about what other people think about you or what God thinks about you? And in one sense, I think we're making idols out of ourselves, because we can be pretty concerned about like our own reputation, and the people-pleasing might, might be for that. Maybe you're the, the person that works, and then when the boss isn't watching, I get, it looks different than when the boss is watching and you're trying to kind of puff yourself up. Either way, I, I think people-pleasing is, at the core, I think it's an idolatry issue. And honestly, like, let's be honest with ourselves, it's exhausting, right, to be a people-pleaser, to try to, to live up to other people's standards all the time and, and make sure that everyone is just who you think or they think you're supposed to be. Like, I can't handle that. That's, that is too much. That's a burden that we put on ourselves sometimes. Sadly, I don't think that's what God has for us. I think he has uh, other things in mind. So I want to be a God pleaser. And I want to explain something with this. I want to be a God pleaser, not so I can win God's love, but because he loves me. There's some really big differences here. You can approach God-pleasing as a "Please love me." So some of us have or had fathers that maybe were disengaged, maybe they were workaholics, and it was really hard to to like feel love from them. And for some of us, that caused us to perform. Like I'm I'm doing all my best. Look, look, you know, love me. This is not the way our heavenly Father is. We don't have to do that. So in God-pleasing, we're not trying to earn love from God. But in God-pleasing, I actually want to please God out of the identity that I have been loved by God. A verse we share often here is 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. So I want to please God because he first loved me. Not out of some desperate need to please love me. But I know that some of our uh, upbringings might have shaped that a little differently, and I'm I'm sorry some of us didn't have the the right fathers to really give a, a better glimpse of our Heavenly Father. But that's not the way it is with our Father in heaven, and I'm thankful for that. So, how can we grow at being God-pleasers? And We're going to jump around again, like I said, to uh, quite a few different scriptures. I'm quite confident I'm not taking these out of context, but... Like at the last church I served at, it was a, a Brian church. Be a good Brian Check these things out. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. Don't just take my word for it. You can uh, look up all these references and even get the bigger context if you need to. So the first thing I want to suggest, to be God pleaser, we need faith. And I'm getting this from Hebrews chapter 11. Many of us are quite familiar with a, a, a chapter all about the heroes of faith. Verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away, which in one respect, if that could be like a big tangent. That's pretty cool. (laughs) He never experienced death. That's not the point of the passage, though, so we're not going to get distracted, because especially our team, our staff team, never gets distracted. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm going to read that heavy line one more time. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. No amount of good works we do when there's not faith attached are pleasing to God. It's faith in who God is, what he has done, trusting in his salvation, accepting his love for us that then makes all of our efforts pleasing to him. As Christians, it's faith that saves us. Uh, No matter how abundant our works might be, it doesn't make up for a lack of faith. If you want to please God, and you're in here, you're like, I guess I want to please God, but you haven't been walking with Christ. Maybe you don't know if you're saved. Like The first step Get right with God. Trust in Jesus. Put faith in Jesus knowing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. He will save you, and that's a great first step to following Christ and being a God-pleaser. Enoch was commended as being a God-pleaser for his faith. I want Grace Community Church to be commended as God-pleasers for our faith. And then second, I want to propose that to be a God-pleaser, we have to live according to the Spirit. So, many of you I know are Christians, are walking with the Lord, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in you powerfully, um, but we still have a choice, right? So, from Romans 8 is kind of where I'm getting this, this is Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So placing our faith in Jesus is great. We're saved in one way we can become pleasing to God, but... But even after that, we have a choice. Are we going to live according to our flesh? Or are we going to live according to the Spirit? And to be a God-pleaser, we've got to live according to the Spirit. You know that still small voice on Sunday morning that you see somebody that, I don't, I don't think they've been here before. I think they're new. And you should go, go invite, uh, go welcome them. Go introduce yourself. Or like when I was mowing the other day and you see a neighbor, you know what, I should probably stop mowing for a minute and go say hello to that person. You know, like promptings of the Holy Spirit. When we choose to live in the flesh and gratify the desires of the flesh, we know it. The Holy Spirit testifies to this. We feel that guilt. and Man, that was just completely out of the flesh. That was all selfish. So we choose to live according to the Spirit. To live by the Spirit is to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that's a choice. Let's choose to live according to the Spirit. When I live in the flesh, it's not pretty. I'm often seeking to win people's approval. When I live in the flesh, I start comparing myself to other worship leaders, like in an unhealthy way. Like there's a there's a way you can learn like, oh, that's really good. I should, I should learn from that. But then in the people-pleasing fleshly, like, oh, I'm either like, worse or better than them, and it's not like I can learn from them. <laughs> it just—it doesn't end up going well. When I live in the flesh, I can care way too deeply about what other people think versus caring what God has, has asked of me. But a life lived according to the Spirit is one of freedom. Freedom from being a people pleaser, hallelujah, and freedom to please God in all of our life and what we do. To be a God pleaser, we must live according to the Spirit. A third, I want to propose this. To be a God-pleaser, we must proclaim the truth. And We're going to spend a lot of time here. I want to look at quite a few different scriptures, and hopefully this will make sense in everybody's mind. Um, I want to start off with Galatians 1, and I think it might say 6 up there when it comes up. It's supposed to be Galatians 1, 6 through 10. And Paul is writing to a church in Galatia, and false teachers are coming in and starting to say, well, that's not by faith alone. You have to do these other things to be saved, to be a Christ follower. And Paul writes them, and he's actually quite disappointed at how quickly some people are swaying them from the truth. And he says, this is totally a different tone of voice than a lot of his other letters. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Ouch. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Is it possible to be a people pleaser and be a servant of Christ? I don't think so. I'm going to read that last verse one more time. For am am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is actually a rhetorical question. Paul's audience knows that he's not trying to please man. He's trying to please God. The Galatians can see it from his preaching. They, they've seen it. They know he's being persecuted. So it's very obvious that he's asking them as a rhetorical question. Now, again, Galatians is largely a letter about false teachers and, and recognizing false doctrine. In one sense, I think it's kind of like Paul is saying, you know, I could avoid this suffering and persecution if I were to preach some, some fun stuff like... like works-based righteousness or health and wealth. You follow Jesus, things are going to be awesome, like no hard things. But that would make me a false teacher. See, life as a God-pleaser isn't the easy road. Proclaiming the truth isn't always popular. I think we know that. We know that more and more. But when you're a God-pleaser, it's what you do. As a pastor, there's a temptation to preach that, uh, to make you feel good. I want you to leave here feeling good. Well, that's that's not always God's word. God's word is sometimes, you know what? It's going to drive us to repentance and godly sorrow. And that's a good thing. But there's a temptation. There's a temptation to preach health and wealth, to jump on some of these bandwagons and, and preach a, a gospel that doesn't pierce the heart so much. People would love me if I if I told them that following Jesus will be a prosperous life and free of all the ailments and all your sicknesses will be cured. You know, it's not, not necessarily so in this life, but instead we preach that God wants us to share in his sufferings. Earlier this summer, Jack went on vacation. I think he timed this on purpose. I can't, can't say for sure, and since he's such a great friend, I'll pick on him. So we're going through the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, and the blessed are the persecuted. He was out of town. He let me preach that one, and everybody felt so good about themselves after they left that Sunday. It was wonderful. Thanks, Kyle, for Sharing that we're blessed when we're persecuted. I don't know how many people re-listen re- to that one. Maybe not a lot, but it's truth, and it needed to be taught. So as a God pleaser, I want to proclaim the truth, not just the ones, that, not just part of the truth that's that's comfortable and easy to hear. So as a church, our first and foremost core value is to uphold biblical integrity. So we're going to proclaim the truth. We're going to be God pleasers. And Jack, I'm thankful for your commitment. Uh, to preach the word. It's fun when when we get together as a staff, he'll bring in his ideas, and he's always very careful to ask the question, am I, is this true? Like, am I preaching the text accurately? He doesn't want to bring his own uh, presuppositions in and his own feelings or preach what's on his heart, but he wants to preach the text, and I really appreciate that about him. It's it's encouraged me and inspired me. So I ask myself, what what kind of preacher should I be? Am I going to be, the pastor, like in 2 Timothy 4.3, we know that, that Timothy and Titus are like the pastoral epistles, but there's a bad example in there as well. Second Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Lord, may it not be so for us. I'm not going to take the way of the people pleaser, and I'm not sure what all your itching ears are eager to hear, but I also know that there's such a legacy of hungering for God's word here that I'm thankful for previous staff members and, and you guys, most of you are ready. To give, us, give us the truth, even when it hurts. I love that. So what about you? Are you living to win the approval of people? Are you working to win the approval of your boss? Students, step on some toes here. Students, listen up. Are you living in a way that you are seeking to please the people around you or to please God? Are you acting differently around different people so that you can fit in? Are you bold with proclaiming the truth? Do people know that you love Jesus? Are you a chameleon that changes to its surroundings just to fit in, just to people please? Are you seeking praise from people? So personally, I'm a words of affirmation person which this job can lend itself well to, like I'm, I'm appreciative of, of encouraging words, but it also can be disastrous. To be a words of affirmation person and, and to be in this position, to be a people pleaser and, and be in this position can be, can be terrible. <laughs> My motives can become fuzzy and before I know it, I can be trying to win everybody's approval and doing worship ministry just the way everybody wants it to go, which obviously is not possible. We can't sing every single song that the people want us to sing, and uh, we can't be loud enough for some people. We can't be soft enough for other people. And I think I would go crazy if I were always worried about how people prefer worship to be here. Uh, thank the Lord, we've grown a lot, and there's a philosophy of this is how we do worship. This is how we're going to do it, and so we have a philosophy that we stick to, which makes it makes it easier. Um, and the last year, we had a, a family that left Grace, and they left on good terms. When a when family leaves well, I, I like to just invite them, will you do an exit survey? And these are good, because we learn, oh, there's a weakness there that we can improve on. We want to represent Christ well, and uh, I'm a little biased, but I think our church is really healthy, and we're committed to truth, so I want people here. So when they leave, we'll see if they'll do a, a survey. And we had a family this last year that they left on good terms, and uh, so they were willing to fill out a survey. And uh, worship through song is really important to them and they found a church in wichita and they wrote back said found a work, church in wichita that had lights and smoke and felt like a concert and then they added and how can grace compete with that and that was true and i realized that that's some people's perspective that they want to go give me the concert sunday morning and our, our goal is participation not performance our worship team members are holding me heard me say that many times that I want the truth on the lips and hearts of each of every one of us. And sometimes when it's a concert, it's just not that easy to do. It's like you sing too way too high or I could go on a really long tangent on that. But uh, so I'm thankful that they were honest. And I'm also thankful that I've that I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot because years ago hearing that comment I'd have been like, "Okay. All right, next budget we got to get the lights and fog in here. We got to change some things because there's there's a family that really wants it to be more concert like" I just, yeah, that would be, be miserable. So I'm, I'm thankful that God has brought me to a place where I can hear that and, and be thankful for the, the feedback. So to be a God-pleaser, we must proclaim the truth. Uh, here's a, another scripture passage that I want to look at, and this is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God and to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. A couple spots in that I want to read again because they stick out to me. We were not looking for praise from people not from you or anyone else. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul's motives for preaching the gospel were not to win man's approval. I hope that's not ours. Paul didn't try to flatter people. He didn't seek praise from men. He didn't seek the approval of people. He was approved by God to declare the gospel, to proclaim the truth. In the face of opposition, Paul even dared to proclaim the truth. How about us? Do we have courage to proclaim the truth, or will we cave and be a people pleaser to to government or whoever it is, or bosses or the cool kids at school? If someone took a good look at our lives, whether at school or work or home, would they conclude that this person wants to live for God's glory? He is loved and he wants to please God with his life. Or might they conclude with our schedule and the way we live that this person cares a lot about what people think. They're trying to please people everywhere they go. Or we like some people in, in Jesus' day that believed but they were too worried about losing the praises of people? So this next passage kind of breaks my heart. This is from John 12. And previously before these verses, Uh, John talks about the unbelief of many, that a lot of people are not believing in Jesus. Then he says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Ouch. We love the glory that comes from man more than we love the glory that comes from God? If we're scared to openly acknowledge our faith in Jesus, perhaps we need to repent about being uh, obsessed with what other people think, maybe some repentance about being a people pleaser and asking God to to work in our heart to be a God pleaser. Are some of us being silent with our faith? Are we worried about getting kicked out of the synagogue? Now, what, what might the synagogue be for us? They're worried about being kicked out of the synagogue because, you know, it's a, it's a place that where people see them and there's a status there that they're associated with. They don't want to lose it. So what, what's our synagogue that we're worried about being kicked out of by proclaiming the truth? Kids, perhaps it's uh, like sitting at the cool table. I'm sitting at the cool table now, but if I start to just talk about Jesus all the time, won't be accepted at the cool table anymore maybe. Maybe it's losing a friendship. Um. Sometimes for me, it's with family, with uh, family that doesn't know Jesus, like there's a relationship there, and I, I, I walk through that, and you know what, if I start to, to share Jesus or push Jesus, like it's going to turn things different, and it's just not going to be right. And that's a people pleaser in me. That's not, that's not a God pleaser. I need to be bold in that. So what are you worried about? Keeps you from confessing Jesus to those around you? Were you are you worried that others will find out that you love Jesus? Whereas the wonderful authors of the late 20th century composed, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? <laughs> what will people do when they find that it's true? Seriously, there's some great words there. That's DC Talk, by the way, which is like Toby Mac before he was Toby Mac. So all you can go, what? Toby Mac was in a band before he was, yeah." What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care. Label me a Jesus freak. Label it. Label all of us a Jesus freak. We love Jesus. Not ashamed of it. Let's proclaim the truth boldly. Do we love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God? Personally, do I, do I seek praises from people more than simply pleasing God? These are questions that I've got to keep asking myself and Ask the Holy Spirit to show me my motives and show me where I need to repent. To please God, we must proclaim the truth. I want to look at one more passage that kind of goes with this theme, and this is from Acts 4. The church is pretty new. It's growing, and the disciples are starting to do some miracles, and it's awesome. Many numbers of believers are added day by day. Um, And Peter and John... um, Yeah, so we enter here at Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John said, okay, we'll be be silent. No, of course not. Peter and John replied, which is right. In God's eyes to listen to you or to him be a people pleaser or a God pleaser you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard let that be us it takes courage to be a God pleaser it takes courage to proclaim truth and to speak the name of Jesus so I graduated like 97 so I know things are way different now and especially you younger ones. It's hard. It takes a lot of courage to proclaim Jesus in your schools, and your circles of friends. But yeah, be a God-pleaser. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to do that. We won't be people-pleasers. Let's be a church that seeks to please God. We won't be silenced. We will continue to speak the name of Jesus, and with the Lord's help, hopefully we'll do that more boldly, more and more. So got one more point here. Finally, to be God pleaser, we must do what's right when no one is looking. Now I'm getting this from Colossians 3. Entering at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, is working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I'm going to do that one one more time. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters. Not just when their eye is upon you, knowing that, that God is always watching. And not like in a fearful, but God's always watching. I want to please him. He's always got my, his eye on me. People-pleasers do what they think people want them to do when they're watching, but then when those people aren't around it, it looks different. God-pleasers know that God's always watching, so their behavior is the same, whether eyes are on them or not. We might call that integrity. Now, this passage specifically addresses slaves, but I think it's very transferable to our day. I think we can look at this in, in our jobs and see that... Uh, in one sense, we have, a, we have an authority that we're obeying, and are we going to do that just to, just to please them while their eye is on us, or whether they're watching or not, are we going to do things with excellence as working for the Lord? We've all been there. I've, I've worked harder when I knew my boss wasn't watching. Not, not Jack, but, you know. Back when I was more immature. <laughs> um, but I have. I've been there. I know what it's like to, oh, the boss is is out on an errand. Everybody kind of relaxes a little bit, and everybody goes with the flow. We're not going to work as hard. boss is coming back. Here he comes. Okay, we're going to work a little bit harder. This was me acting out of the flesh as a people pleaser, not as a God pleaser. I was only worried about being seen um, by people who could actually see me. I wanted to be seen as a good worker, but I only cared when my boss was watching. Uh, When I started working for the Lord, that didn't matter anymore. And some of you are thinking, oh, when you started working for the Lord, like vocational ministry. No, there was a a significant change in my life when I was still in the secular workforce where I started working for the Lord. And uh, we we were married not that long and having kids and uh, the band thing was over that I did full-time for a little while, and I was like, I missed it. I wanted to do full-time ministry right away, like God now. Give me an opportunity now. And uh, this verse, Colossians 3.23, was just drilled into my mind that um, God was saying, you've got ministry to do. Open your eyes. You don't have to be in a vocational spot for it to be ministering to the Lord. That was a really good lesson for me. And my job at the Home Improvement Store, which is called Builders, uh, that became worship for me. And I got to encourage the other people that were Christians. And I started working really hard, whether people were there or watching or not. Started witnessing to some of the customers. And I thought, well, if I get fired, eh, that'll look pretty cool on a resume to get fired for sharing the name of Jesus. The church ought to hire me if that's the case, right? <laughs> so, started sharing Jesus boldly and inviting people over to our homes. And, yeah, just loving on people. And my life changed significantly. Uh, I knew God was always watching, and I wanted to please Him. And then eventually, He opened up the door for vocational ministry. But I love working for Him. I really felt like I was working for the Lord then. Uh, even stocking light bulbs on the shelf, I remember getting a you know box off the top shelf, opening it up, putting it in, looking at making it look as nice as possible. I'm going to make my section look as nice as possible because I'm representing Jesus. Yeah. Even when I got into management and like scheduling the different. Uh, departments even the cashiers which often involved a lot of drama for some reason (laughs) Um, nobody knows what i'm talking about probably so even through the drama often sometimes i was still i was still people pleaser in many ways back then but i'm still growing i was working for jesus so who are we doing our jobs for do you think of your jobs as serving your boss or do you think of your jobs as this is just a paycheck i need the paycheck i need to pay the bills do you think of your jobs as working for the Lord? Are you doing what's right when no one's looking? Are you working with integrity, knowing that God is always watching? So I firmly believe that Christians should be the best workers out there. I think if all of us were living as God pleasers, that all those companies would be like another another Christian just put their job up on the boat. We got to snatch him up because we know that man he's going to be he's going to be working really hard no matter whether we're watching or not. Those people just work with integrity. That's the way it should be. I don't think it is that way, but I think that's the way it should be. So we actually have Colossians 3.23 hanging up on our wall in the dining room. And for some reason, we couldn't find it at all those little artsy stores. So we had, we like commissioned somebody to make us with the, you know, the fancy, like it's it's like old barn wood or something. And, and they put the verse on it. So we had them do Colossians 3.23 and it's hanging up in our dining room so we can look at it often. And I parent through it quite often. We apply it to homework, to practicing instruments, to cleaning up after ourselves, to serving others. You know, Whatever we do, we want to work at it with all our hearts. It's working for the Lord, not for man. This even means when nobody's watching, we'll do the right thing. This means that practicing saxophone or drums or violin, which our kids play, they're always doing it with just the best of attitude because they know they're working for the Lord and not for men. Okay, so just to be clear, our family is full of sinners as well, so it it doesn't it doesn't always go great but we we keep that hanging up there and honestly i I do it for my own my own good too because I've been doing seminary for a while, and there's nights where okay everybody's in bed, everybody's asleep time to do some more studying i'm like oh. okay, even this God wants to use this and and teach me and help me to learn so I want to be a god pleaser i don't want to be a people pleaser. And uh, I think that means that I'm gonna do things the right way whether people are watching or not. I think that means that all of us should be should be acting that way because God's always watching. Not in a, is he gonna do the right thing? But I love you. Do the right thing. Represent me, even when nobody's watching. All right, kids. So real quickly, I gotta talk to you for a second. Uh, you should seek to please your parents, but I think above that is the goal to please God. I think out of a a goal to please God, you're going to find that you want to please your parents because that's God's command to us. So there might even be a time where maybe you choose to do otherwise. Like maybe actually what God wants you to do doesn't line up with what, if you're young, if you're like younger than 10, your parents probably are always right. So, But if you're like getting into the high school, college age, there might be a time where you need to know that you know what, God's calling me to do this and I need to do that. And you're going to make a decision. My parents have said this, but it's very clear that God is calling me to do that. So, anyway, kids, um, seek to please God first. But in that, honor your parents, because that's the way to one of us. So, I want to close with this uh, final scripture reading. We actually read it earlier. This is in Colossians. Paul writes, and if you want this reference, I don't remember if it's in the program or not. This is Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I think I forgot to get it up on the screen. So, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Um, Paul talks about how he's praying for the church, at, uh, the Colossian church. And he asked that they would have wisdom and understanding so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Okay, so this is Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, he loves, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May we be people pleasers. May we be filled with knowledge and wisdom so that we can live a life worthy of God's glory and please him in every way, whether people are looking or not, that we would be God pleasers. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite Will to come up, because he's in here somewhere, I think, right? Yeah, he's here. Father, we thank you for your word, Uh, And I just want to confess, Lord, that I I still struggle with some people-pleasing tendencies. I pray that you would forgive me, and I pray that you would make it my aim to please you above everything else, above everyone else, that that would be my goal. Uh, Would you search our hearts and show us where there needs to be repentance? Would you give us more and more faith that our works would be pleasing to you? Um, Would you help us to live according to the Spirit? God, when we live according to the flesh, it doesn't go well. Help us to live according to the Spirit that we may be pleasing to you and do all the good works you've prepared for us. And Lord, may we be bold in proclaiming the truth. Give us courage in the face of opposition to be God-pleasers, not to worry so much about what people think. I want to specifically pray for younger generations here and the pressures that they have. I pray that there would be boldness in the name of Jesus Boldness in declaring what you've done for us. Boldness in sharing that faith. Boldness in in being Jesus freaks, not worrying what other people think. Give us courage. Give us uh, conviction to proclaim your truth. Um, Thank you for your word. Pray that this has been honoring to you and edifying to the church as well as to my own heart. And uh, thank you for loving us. And all we do to please you, God, we know that you loved us first. and We're not trying to please you because we need to earn anything. But you've freely given your Son and loved us. For that we say thank you. These things we pray in Jesus' name.